This is a reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. We have a special guest tonight. He's coming from a long, long time ago in a very far faraway place. He is a high official from his own nation. Please welcome Ashpenaz. Hello. As you have heard, my name is Ashpenaz. And I have been sent to teach you from across the many, many miles and the many, many years. I have had an interesting journey coming from my time to yours. I have seen history roll down like a chariot wheel down a mountainside. So many advancements, so many inventions. How do you say the, uh, the technology? 
But what I have noticed the most is that the more the world changes, the more its people are as they always have been. In my day, I was what you might call in your country's government the chief of staff. In my Babylon, in my country, I was known as the chief of all the king's officials, the commander of all the king's officials. It's a good title, no? And I wasn't even Babylonian. Perhaps you've read about me in the first chapter of the book of the prophet Daniel. You know, that was one of the amazing things about my ruler. Is that when he conquered a country, he took from that country the best leaders that country had to offer. This was good for a couple of reasons. One is he took the best and the brightest minds away from that conquered country. It was also a good way for him to get good people to help run his ever-expanding empire. So, you think your president is a good politician? <laughs> He's in diplomatic diapers compared to my king. The greatest earthly king who ever was. The golden head of the statue which is made up of all earthly kings. My king was Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The story which I'm going to tell you begins with a little country nestled on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. Not 100 years previous to the story I'm going to tell you, some Babylonian envoys went from our country to this little country of Israel, and they had been shown by its king Hezekiah all of its armories, all of its defenses, and the treasures that it held. Stories about the wealth of this tiny little country were told over and over and over again. So that in 605 BC, when my king Nebuchadnezzar had big and expensive building plans, he decided to invade that country and take its wealth along with. 10,000 captives. This was the first time Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city. He did it again later. And when he did it later, he did not leave one stone on top of another. But this time... He brought 10,000 captives, the best and the brightest of all. Now, 
I want to pause here for a moment. Why would the God of the Israelites abandon them in such a way? In truth, he showed himself more powerful in my country of Babylon than he did in his own country of Judea. They say that their God is dealing with the Israelites because of their many, many sins over many, many years. They had forsaken their worship of Yahweh, their God, and gone to other gods, and so they were being punished for their sins like a father punishes his children when they are disobedient in order to make them the kind of children that he desires. Even their own prophets had warned them about this happening. One hundred years before Nebuchadnezzar came in 605 BC, their prophet Isaiah said in his book, they shall take away some of your sons who will be descended from you, and they shall become officials in the palace of Babylon. But why take the innocent? Why take these young men who serve their God so faithfully? The answer to this, I do not know. But I will tell you this. I wish I had been as faithful to my God as these four young men of whom I will tell you were to their God. I marveled at these young men from the moment that I met them. Any captive I have ever seen who comes to my royal academy has half of his faith gone already before he comes. And truthfully, my task is so much easier when they come to me that way, you know. They're asking questions. Questions like, where is our God in this catastrophe? Has he forgotten his people? He has deserted us in our hour of our greatest need. For you see, this was my job. To train these captives for Nebuchadnezzar's service. No matter where they came from, I was to make them loyal Babylonians. They were to honor Nebuchadnezzar and his gods. These were my methods. I will explain them later. To alienate, to absorb them, to advise them, and to slightly adjust them 
Once these young captives went through three years of my royal academy, they were effective officials of Babylon precisely because they had become mediocre in their devotion to their own gods. Just like I had. They became wonderful examples for all their countrymen about how to be, in this case, still Jewish, but loyal to the Babylonian Empire. So you see, this was good politics. Allow me to explain the detail of this course for these young Jewish exiles. It will show you how I went about these things and why these four young men were so unusual. You should know that they were the cream of Israel's crop. They were young, in their teens. They were handsome, intelligent, and from Jewish nobility. The first thing we did was to alienate them. We alienated them from their country. We ripped them from their homelands. While in Babylon, they would never see anything that reminded them of their home. No temple to their gods. No crowds of worshipers. No priests. No teachers exhorting them to live for Yahweh, their God. They would be stranded like sailors on a desert island with nothing around them but a sea of beautiful Babylonian faces, beautiful Babylonian architecture, beautiful Babylonian culture, and our gods. Here is an awful truth that I use to my advantage. Our desire as humans to want to belong to something is incredibly strong. Our ability to forget, oh, po, po, that is immense. If you take a single ember away from a roaring fire and set it down far away, soon enough that ember will cool down and die. That is the philosophy of alienation. It usually works. I could say that if you isolated almost anyone from their religion, you could begin a change in that person. You people here, I would wager that if I had you for three years in my Babylon, I could help you to forget your devotion to your gods. If I could take you away from this Sunday church worship service, if I could take you away from your Bible studies, from your so-called fellowship events, it would not be long before your own faith would begin to waver. The question is, would you allow me to do this to you? Not so with these young men. I could not stop them from praying to their God, and I am sure they conspired after school 
to encourage each other in their worship of this Yahweh. They were determined to honor him, these little Jews. Their weapon against my plan to alienate them was simply to congregate. To congregate together. When I was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, I had not been so intent upon honoring my own God. I did not make it the point to congregate with those of my faith because it was an easy thing for me to avoid. They were all hypocrites, my fellow believers. I wonder if you can identify with me. Do you know what it's like? To worship with people who say one thing and do the other thing? Ha! Why would I want to be part of such a group? They were all hypocrites, I thought. And that thought was enough to weaken my resolve to stay true to my God. But Daniel... Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, hmm. they honored their God because they would not allow me to alienate them. No, they continued to congregate. It's time for a break. We have many nationalities that make up the empire, and so I tell you some jokes at some of my other students' expense. Here's a question. How do you know when a Hittite's house is on level ground? It is when the drool comes out of both sides of his mouth. On to point number two. My second plan was to absorb them into Babylonian culture. I began by changing their names. I called them Belteshazzar, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. Big deal, huh? It was not. They didn't even pay attention. But I want you to know why I did it. They went from names that glorified the Hebrew God to names that glorified the Babylonian gods. Every day I wanted them to hear that. King Nebuchadnezzar was determined that they begin thinking of themselves as citizens of Babylon. So we changed their names. The plan was to confuse their very identities. But... I am afraid their identities were grounded deeper than a name. Your poet, Shakespeare, he knew that. He said, a rose by any other name will smell as sweet. Those Hebrews, no matter what I named them, they were a sweet aroma to their God. For they knew to whom they belonged. They honored him in spite of everything else. 
For you see, they were determined to conquer the culture. They were determined to conquer in this matter and not to be absorbed. They had a proverb, these Jews. As a man thinks, so he is. We tried to change their thinking. That is how we would absorb them. You see, it is not you are what you eat. It is you are what you think. When I was in their position, I wonder why I was so easily absorbed. Why didn't I conquer the empire's attempts to absorb me? I believe I know. I did not think of myself first and foremost as a follower of my God. I thought of myself as me. Ashpanaz. That is all. My God did not enter into my identity at all. And I have come to this conclusion. If you do not know to whom you belong, you will be absorbed by the culture. By whose name shall you conquer your culture? By your own name? <laughs> no. You will not conquer any more than I did. You will be absorbed just like I was. Hmm. But then, you serve the same God as these little Jews. Perhaps you are able, like they were, to conquer the culture, to keep yourselves from being absorbed. I am sure this God could show you how to conquer your culture in this time, in this place, because as I said, he showed himself to be very, very strong in Babylon. And now for a Canaanite joke. <laughs> How many Canaanites does it take to screw in a light bulb? None, because Canaanites don't have light bulbs. <laughs> Point number three. If Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, were determined not to be absorbed, then I had to take a little bit different route with them. I had to advise them. These four young Jewish men were taught all the wisdom of Babylon, day after day. They were taught the language, not just how to speak it, but how to write it. They were schooled in the great literature of Babylon, the exploits of her kings, her rich history. They were taught the secrets of the stars and how to interpret visions and dreams by our methods, not by theirs. 
They were taught a religion. And they were taught the magical arts. They were taught how to foretell the future from the entrails of a sacrifice. The aim of this was not just academic, no. No, no. It was to retrain their minds to think as Babylonians and not as Jews. We wanted to change their way of looking at life. It had to become a worldview that did not see Yahweh's hand, their God's hand, in everything around them. We wanted them to worship our gods. If they wanted to worship Yahweh too, that was fine. It was no problem. But to worship Him alone, that would be a problem. The point was to be absorbed into the Babylonian culture. In order to do that, we had to indoctrinate. I mean, excuse me, we had to advise them. In my travels through history, I've seen this happen time and time again. Revolutionaries throughout the ages have begun at the college campuses, have they not? They start with the youth, do they not? And why do they start with the youth? Because you can change the youth by adding to their learning. How do you make a strong iron rod weak? You cannot make it weak once it is forged. But while it is still molten, if you can throw some sand into the molten metal, then I assure you that iron rod would break. So our plan was to add to their learning the Babylonian ways. Not to try to undo everything they had already learned. Just to advise them. But it did not work with these Jews. Nothing seemed to work with these Jews. They were masters at taking the best we had to offer them. And then without changing their worldview. They drew a line in their minds. A border we could not cross. Areas of their thinking grew and developed. But that little part in the back of their minds, where Yahweh their God dwelled, that we could not have. And the problem was that it kept infiltrating everything else we taught them. Their knowledge of Yahweh infiltrated philosophy. It infiltrated literature. Their knowledge of Yahweh infiltrated even science and math, dreams and visions. I was being beaten at my own game. They would not compromise their beliefs in their God. No, no. <laughs> you know what? 
I rather enjoyed it. You had to respect these little Jews. They constantly ended up making me think, I tell you, by the time we got done with teaching them everything that we knew, they had combined it with the knowledge of their Hebrew scriptures. And the best of Babylonian academia, and by the king's own words, they were ten times smarter than all of the magicians and enchanters in his own kingdom. It was obvious. He could make one want to become a Jew. How did they do it? How do you, do you sift through all the ideas that a culture is throwing at you while holding fast to your faith? I will give it to you in one word. And that one word is contemplate. To contemplate. To contemplate God's words in light of all the advice we gave them. Tell me, how can any of you here at Scum of the Earth Church, what kind of a name is that? How can you here at your church go to a movie, go to a concert, go to the university, go to the library without contemplating these things in light of your God's words? How can you watch television? How can you watch the news without sifting what is good in the sight of your God from what is not good in the sight of your God? If you do these things, then you shall understand what these Jews did. It was something that I did not do to contemplate my God's words. <laughs> Truthfully, I did not even know my God's words. So how could I? These young men, they knew their Hebrew scriptures. They would meet and discuss whatever I taught them to see if it was good in the sight of other God. They prayed for wisdom to understand. They did all the things that I had not done. And that is how they overcame my advice. They contemplated these things in the presence of Yahweh. And now for my last joke. What do you see when you look into a Gibeonite's ear? You see space for rent. <laughs> and a lot of earwax. Now on to the last part of my plan. I tried to adjust their behavior ever so slightly 
How did I do this? This always worked. By getting them to partake of a feast. To eat of the king's food. This is the part of the story where the four young Jewish men told me what they could eat, what they could not eat, what was kosher, what was not kosher, yada, yada, yada. Daniel asked me for permission not to defile himself in this way. I told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink to me. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head. You know, it was not for nothing we gave these students at the Royal Academy the best of everything. They had choice food. They had fine wine. They had positions of prestige as opposed to the servility of slaves, which we could have done. We learned a long time ago that every man, and every woman for that matter, has his or her price. Good times, comfort, entertainment, Self-esteem and high society are usually a good bid for a soul. If you say you are a Jew, but you live like a Babylonian, eh, you are Babylonian enough. You can guess what did not happen next. These Jewish young men would not live like Babylonians. It was such a basic matter, you'd think they would have been able to compromise just a little bit. But no, no, no. Daniel, he asked me, Oh, please, test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the other young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you think is right. <laughs> so I agreed. I tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days... Oh, they looked healthier than all the other young students. They looked better nourished than the men who ate the royal food. So what did I do? I took away the choice food and the wine from all of my students. And I gave them vegetables and water instead. And more for me. And my friends, as a result. Even in these tiny little matters, these four young men sought to honor their God. And he honored them in return. God gave them knowledge 
and understanding of all kinds. And Daniel, he was able to interpret dreams and visions of all kinds. I've thought about this for a long time. How could they do this? And you know, I've decided it had to be more than just following the rules. I tried that. It did not work. I could not follow the rules of my own religion just so I could be considered a good man in the sight of my God. I could not do it. The temptations are too strong. As, as one of your writers has said, I can resist everything except temptation. You must know what I am talking about. In my time travel, I have seen Christians try to keep the rules. The results have been either pathetic or frightening. On the one hand, Christians don't keep their own rules at all. On the other hand, those who keep them, keep them with unmerciful regularity and force everyone around them to do the same. So in the case of Daniel and his friends, it had to be more than that, more than just keeping the rules. And I think I know what it was. This is the word I give to it. Consecrate. The definition of which is to be set apart as sacred. Given to God. I know what you're thinking right now. You are thinking that I would say you must try harder to live a holy life like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. I mean, Belteshazzar, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I am not going to ask you to try harder because you could not do it any more than I could. What is evident to me was that these four young men were consecrated by God, not by themselves. I tell you, it was a miracle that they could eat vegetables and water and still look healthier than all the others. It was not nutrition. You Americans are so concerned about nutrition. It was not bad food we gave them. It was good food. The food was uh, all, uh, how do you say it in this country? Organic. You people have done terrible things to your food. Pesticides, insecticides, artificial fertilizers, genetically modified. I don't even know what I'm saying. (laughs) 
It was good food we gave them. And it was a miracle we witnessed. It was their God that did it. I apply it this way. If you were asked to do something totally unethical at your place of employment, but you could not do it, would not that be a sign that God had consecrated your heart so that you could not do it? And if you lost that job, but still you found enough money to live, wouldn't that be a miracle? If you refuse any kind of immorality, any kind of immorality, because something inside of you will not allow you to either start it or even once you have started to continue it. Is that not a sign of your own consecration? And isn't it a miracle that you start wanting what is good, what is noble, what is pure? This is the end of the matter. Honoring God in a pagan culture is a gift from God to you. It is a gift that God gives you that then you give back to Him. It is like a crown that He puts on your head that then you take off and you throw at His feet. Because He is the one who gives you the strength to conquer. He is the one who gives you believers to congregate with. He is the one that leads you to contemplate. And He is the one who consecrates you. You, you just have to cooperate. My teaching is now done. I must return to my own time. Goodbye.